Is it possible that we have not yet recognized and said anything real and important? Is it possible that we have had a thousand years to look, reflect, and write down? And that we have let the millennia pass like a school recess in which we eat our sandwich and apple? Yes, it is possible. Is it possible that in spite of inventions and progress, in spite of culture, religion, and worldly wisdom, that we have remained at the surface of life? Is it possible that we have even covered the surface, which would at least have been interesting, with an incredibly dull slipcover so that it looks like living room furniture during the summer vacation? Yes, it is possible. If all this is possible, has even the appearance of possibility, then something, something has to happen. The first person who comes along, the one who has had this disquieting thought, must begin to accomplish some of what has been missed, even if it's just anyone, not the most suitable person, simply because there is no one else to do it. Powerful extract from the notebook of Malt Laurie Briggs. This is Poet on Song, the podcast that proposes to love a poet with you and accompany them with great music. My name is Mariama Antoine, and today we'll explore a poet of cosmic breath, the great giver of the Duino elegies, a Bohemian Austrian figure who wrote at the turn of the 20th century, lived most of his life in self imposed exile and who wanted to possess nothing but the German language, Reina Maria Rilke. I speak to you of Rilke today because it seems to me that our times, befuddled by tyrannous inequities and overwrought really by that ever-brewing battle between those who can be included and those who must be excluded, call for his sharp observations, his invitation to contemplative insight, to expansiveness, to grandeur. To me, Rilke is nothing if not inspiration. Inspiration to transcend the very selfishness that weaves the fabric of human suffering.
because, and I'm quoting from the fourth elegy here, of that small beginning of love he felt towards me. His was a hand that I felt reached out for mine, or more realistically, his words were a secure hand that I held and walked with for four or five years of my life. I don't even remember when I let go of that hand. Wilka opened for me a space of absolute beauty and quietude, and when I found him, my loneliness became solitude and my inner life rich. I was 19 then, and my connection to him was powerful, intimate, and immediate. I think I fell in love, or rather fell into his love, into this vastness of peace and silence that he had cultivated and that could reach you across time, through pages. His is a voice enveloped in a celestial echo. It's as though he had touched the divine and you can feel it in every word. I don't know if I can ever fully convey what he brought me, but Pablo Neruda has this poem that may do it. It's called La Poesia Poetry. And the first stanza translates loosely to this. And it was at that time that poetry arrived in search of me. I don't know where it came from, a mountain, a river. There were no voices, no words, nor silence. But from the street, I was summoned. And there I was, without face, in Imitokaba, and it touched me. Hulke touched me in the same way, and with the poem that I'll read next. It's about work. It's about the work that is required to live, to write, to tame the savagery. It's the Robert Bly translation, and it's called Just as the Winged Energy of the Light. I'll read it to you in a bit. Just as the winged energy of the light carried you over many chasms earlier on, and now raised the daringly imagined arch holding up the astounding bridges. Miracle doesn't lie only in the amazing living through and the feet of danger. Miracles become miracles in the clear achievement that is earned. To work with things is not hubris, when building the association beyond words, denser and denser the pattern becomes. Being carried along is not enough. Take your well-disciplined strength and stretch them between two opposing poles, because inside human beings is where God learns.
quote Volker, There's always a sense that the universe was not made for us, rather that we are a part of it and subject to greater hierarchies which he referred to as angels. That celestial realm that he felt we could access by leaning into our pain. It's beauty that is both turmoil and peace, the terrible angel. Alluring and alarming, it's a pregnant emptiness, creativity. This and continuity is what Wilka adds to the frame of our personal stories. It's as if to say, someone like you has sat in such a chair before and has wondered the same things eons ago. Someone like you will desire and reach in the same way that you have long after you are gone. So pay attention now. They say that attention is the beginning of love. Here are a few poems that show us his intense gaze. I love how carefully and just his observations are. I imagine that he spent hours looking, looking at the sky, looking at people, looking at interactions, looking at what we had made of the world. That's something he learned in practice so that, in the end, he made no distinction between emotion and weather, internal storm and external breeze. To him, we all swayed like trees and yielded like a harvest. move over the things of this world. Perhaps I can never achieve the last, but that will be my attempt. I am circling around God, around the ancient tower, and I have been circling for a thousand years, and I still don't know if I am a falcon or a storm or a great song. you see me hurrying. Much stands behind me. I stand before it like a tree, and I am only one of many mouths, and at that 
the one that will be still the soonest. I am the rest between two notes, which are somehow always in the scored, because death's note wants to climb over, but in the dark interval, reconciled, they stay there, trembling, and the song goes on beautifully. From the Book of Images, The Way In. Whoever you are, some evening, take a step out of your house, which you know so well. Enormous space is near. Your house lies where it begins, whoever you are. Your eyes find it hard to tear themselves from the sloping threshold. But with your eyes, lift one black tree up so that it stands against the sky, skinny, alone. And with that, you have made the world. The world is immense and like a word that is still growing in the silence. In the same moment when your will grasses it, your eyes, feeling its subtlety, will leave it. Loneliness. Being apart and lonely is like rain. It climbs towards evening from the ocean plains, from flat places rolling and remote. It climbs to heaven 
which is its old abode. And only when leaving heaven drops upon the city, it rains down upon us in those twittering hours when the streets turn their faces to the dawn, when two bodies who have found nothing, disappointed and depressed, roll over, and when two people who despise each other have to sleep together in one bed, that is when loneliness receives the rivers.
his time he began writing the Duino elegies in 1912 in Italy, Wilke had traveled extensively. He never spent much time in Germany. He was born in Prague, the capital of Bohemia then, which he found too provincial. There was that torrid love affair with Lou Andrea Salome, who had been Nietzsche's mistress, who took him to Russia. The years he spent in Paris working for the sculptor Rodin as his secretary, numerous trips, always a rented room or a secure place furnished by rich friends where he never stayed too long. One gets a sense that he must have been like the air. You could never really get a hold of him. Wilka was always the first one to go. Maybe not with Lou, she left him. But after her, there were many a failed romances, a divorce, a child. And Wilka admitted to being unable to stay with a woman. And he thought that perhaps it was because he could not love his mother. Consequently, his voice is not attached to a specific place or experience. And though it carries the romantic tradition, it embraces our existential questioning and that agape sense of love. He wrote mostly at the turn of the 20th century, but his voice is devoid of its mood. In fact, Wilka wrote nothing during the First World War. It was as though the savagery of it had silenced whatever angel could sing in him. It's the struggling upward to divest himself of the form of the person, if I may be so boldly mystical. To exist boundlessly, that, to me, is the force of the song he sang. And nowhere in his writing is this more obvious than in the ten beautiful elegies he wrote. Not only are they a guide to people like me, they also reveal his personal frustrations. There's a sense of anger in the elegies at our conduct, at human conduct, at our inability to learn from the lessons so openly displayed in the pages of the past. I'll read you moments from the first four elegies with breaks and bits. It's intense. It's the A.S. Klein translation for one, two, three, and Stephen Mitchell for four.
from the first elegy. Who, if I cried out, would hear me among the angelic orders? And even if one were to suddenly take me to his heart, I would vanish into a stronger existence. For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror that we're still able to bear and so revere it because it calmly disdained to destroy us. Every angel is terror, and so I hold myself back and swallow the cry of a darkened sobbing. Ah, who then can we make use of? Not angels, not men, and the resourceful creatures see clearly that we are not really at home in the interpreted world. Perhaps there remains some tree on a slope that we can see again each day. There remains to us yesterday's street in the thinned out loyalty of a habit that liked us so stayed and never departed. From the second elegy, what are you? Early successes, creation's favorite ones, mountain chains, ridges reddened by dawns of all origin, pollen of flowering godhead, junctions of light, corridors, stairs, throne, spaces of being, shields of bliss, tempests of storm filled, delighted feeling, and suddenly, Solitary mirrors gathering their own outstream beauty back into their faces again. For we, when we feel, evaporate, oh we, breathe ourselves out in a way from amber to amber, yielding us fainter fragrance. Then someone may say to us, yes, you are in my blood. From the third elegy, see, we don't love like flowers in a single year. When we love, an ancient sap rises in our arms, oh girls, this, that we loved inside us, 
not one to come, but the immeasurable seething, not a single child, but the fathers resting in our depths, like the rubble of mountains, the dry riverbeds of those who were mothers, the whole silent landscape under a clouded and clear destiny. Girls, this came before you. From the fourth elegy, I won't endure these half-filled masks better the puppet. It at least is full. I'll put up with the stuffed skin, the wire, the face. That is nothing but appearance. Here I am waiting. Even if the lights go out. Even if someone tells me that's all. Even if emptiness floats towards me in gray draft from the stage. Even if not one of my silent ancestors stays seated with me, not one woman, not the boy with the immovable brown eye, I'll sit here anyway. One can always watch. Am I not right? You to whom life tasted so bitter after you took a sip of mine, the first gritty infusion of my will, father. Am I not right, you, dear women, who must have loved me for my small beginning of love towards you, which I always turned away from because the space in your features grew changed even while I loved it, into cosmic space where you no longer were. Am I not right? Was he right not to endure the masquerade of modern existence, the hollow puppet? And love and other difficulties, a beautiful meditation. Wilka argues that lovers must stand guard over the solitude of the other. In fact, he says it stunningly, he says, when two solitudes border and salute each other. For a long time, I held that to be gospel. I found it so 
beautiful. I think that he was warning us against this need to fill ourselves with the other, to drain the emotional resources of those we love. And with that, I agree. I do think that those we love cannot fulfill us, not for long anyway. But I also know that in loving, maximum involvement is needed. And for me, that implies union, and union suggests a relinquishing of the guard itself. So, as opposed to Wilka's solitary figures bowing to one another, I now think of great lovers as apple trees in the fall weighed with the need to give This is where we end. This has been Poet on Song, and my name is Mariama Antoine. The music that you've heard on this podcast is as follows. Six Romances by Pietro Tchaikovsky. Interpretation by Lisa Biachvili. Yannick Nézé-Séguin is the conductor. Regina Celli-Latare from Pedro Mascani Cavillera Rusticana. Interpretation by Jesse Norman and Rosa Lageza with the Paris Orchestra. Simeon Bichkov is the conductor. The Night by Franz Borgmiller, interpretation by Anya Leschner and Pablo Marquez. Three Nocturnes for Cello and Guitar, Nocturne Number 1 in A Minor by Franz Borgmiller, interpretation by Anya Leschner and Pablo Marquez. On the Wings of Song by Felix Mandelson, interpreted by Misha Maschi and Sergio Tiempo. 
Swan Song by Franz Schubert, Stachin, and D minor. Interpretation by Misha Maskey and Daria Havora. Orchestral Street Number no. 3 and D major air by Johann Sebastian Bach. Interpreted by Yo-Yo Ma. Pan Koopman is the conductor. Chant d'Auvergne Ballero by Joseph Cantalube. Interpreted by Anna Mofa with the American Symphony Orchestra. Leopold Stokowski is the conductor. Piano Concerto Number no. 2 and C minor, Opus 18-2, Adagio Sestenuto by Sergei Rachmaninoff. Interpreted by Daniel Trivanov with the Philadelphia Orchestra, Yannick Nézé-Séguin is the conductor. Vladimir's Blues by Max Richer. You can listen to Poet on Song on most podcast platforms and on poetonsong.com. If you like what you've heard, I hope that you'll follow us on Instagram and share the podcast. And come again as I explore next the raptures and revelations of a soul very much under Soviet siege, Anna Akmaktova. See you then.